listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma. I'm your host, Trish Gloss, and I'm coming at you from one of my favorite places, my kitchen. On today's episode, I am chatting with Chef Sarah Moulton. She's also a food editor and host of cooking show Sarah's Weeknight Meals, which just entered its 10th season. We talk a little bit about that, some of the challenges she faced while getting ready for that show. We also talked about her mentor, Julia Child. She shared some of her Julia moments. She said there's a lot of them, but there was one in particular she shared with me about cooking in Julia's kitchen. It's incredibly sweet. Then I asked her about Thanksgiving. Asked her what she was doing this year, and she said, I may be shocked to hear, you may be shocked to hear what she does every year for Thanksgiving. I'll let her tell you the story. Here's Sarah Moulton. Welcome. Welcome to the new podcast. Trish, congratulations. This is so exciting for you. Uh, I'm honored to be here. Okay, Sarah Moulton, chef, food editor, host of Cooking Show. Uh, we just talked about it a little bit. Tenth season of Sarah's Weeknight Meals. That starts airing this week or next week? Actually, last week. It started on October 6th. and um, But it doesn't, as public television airs at different places at different times. So I don't know where it aired on October 6th. I know it's not airing here in New York City for another week. Right. But uh but yeah, your website, actually, I was on there yesterday and there's a spot that says click here to find where you can watch Sarah in your neck of the woods. So that's what I would suggest people do. Yes, absolutely. You, go, you just go to the name, the title of the show, which is Sarah's mm-hmm. Weeknight Meals. Go there and then you put in your zip code and your provider, like if it's Verizon or Comcast or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and then it will pop up and tell you when it airs and which episode. OK, yeah. uh, you also appear on Christopher Kimball's Milk Street Radio um, and you're a teacher at heart. That's one of the the things, the really big takeaways that I got from the last interview. Speaking of, I've interviewed you before. So for those of you who are listening, if you didn't catch that, that was actually episode 121, if you want to go back and watch it. Um, but I have to tell you a really quick story. That interview uh, changed my life. And I'm not being dramatic. I know. I know. Well, here, wow. let me let me tell you the story. So I had been doing these interviews, and I had started to dabble in... Um, finding people who really sort of sparked my interest, which are foodie types, winemakers, producers, anybody really in anything culinary. And I reached out to you. It was a few weeks later. I got an email that you said, yes, I would do it. It was in December. We had this, for me, magical conversation where I just felt like I was talking with an old pal And at the end of that interview, we had to go because the noon show was coming up and the director let me stretch it as long as I possibly could. I got um, done with the interview. I got on the phone with my husband. I was shaking. And I said, I I think I figured it out. I know I knew at that point I was leaving KTVL, my my station. And I also knew I wanted to do podcasts, but I just was sort of floundering about what I wanted to do and not really talk to all these different kinds of people. But it hit me. It was like culinary, culinary folks. These are my people. Why aren't I talking to these kind of people? And I just got off the phone almost in tears. And I just said, Sarah Moulton just changed everything for me. Oh, well, I'm thrilled that I helped to move that forward. You you and did. I know what you mean about your people, my people. It's just it's the people you feel happy with. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm doing a cooking class. We're going to use that word loosely uh, coming up this weekend. And a chef friend of mine, I was texting him asking for some advice. And I said, I'm really sorry to bug you. He goes, no bugging here. I love talking about food. And I said, man, me too. Me too. 
So I just want to thank you, first of all, for um, really, I mean, you were just being yourself. You were being incredibly kind to me, but we just had such a great conversation. And that light bulb went off for me, I think, that day. And ever since then, that was in December, ever since then, I've been pushing towards this very moment. And that's why I wanted you to be really episode one or really the first episode of Hungry for More. Oh, well, I'm again, I'm honored. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. So let's talk about this 10th season of Sarah's weeknight meals. First of all, congratulations, 10 seasons. Do you look back and you just go, go me? Well, yeah, because it's public television. As much as I love public television, it is so much work. Uh, The way it happens is you have to go out and raise all the money ahead of time, get sponsors, and then you can start shooting. But not until that happens, you have all the money in place, can you start shooting? And the trouble from the sponsor's point of view, and it's part of the reason people love public television, is there's no real advertisements. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You can't do product placements. You cannot mention a product by name. So what the heck is in it for a sponsor? So it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, The reason we do get sponsors is because you know, there's sort of an association uh, with me. So if somebody likes me and likes what I do, and then we, it's, it's very ephemeral. It's very hard to explain. It's not normal TV. So from that point of view, I'm absolutely astonished that we've made it 10 years. Um, And it's been sporadic. I mean, we didn't shoot last year. Um, Mm -hmm. Every year we get a smaller and smaller budget. Um, I'll be honest, we repurpose some older material along with the newer stuff. Um, but I do love it. I will say that. And, you know, as opposed to I was on the Food Network for um, 10 years and it was the early days of the Food Network. So it was before they controlled you as much as they do now. Mm-hmm. I mean, the new model, is, I believe, I don't know, but that if you become a star for the Food Network, they own a lot of your property or what you do or your cookbooks. Um, and back then that wasn't true. But I still, I don't I don't own my shows from the Food Network. Um, I have no access to them, nothing. But public television, yes, I do. Nice. And nice. so uh, that's really, really been fun. And and every year it's different. Sometimes it's just me and my producer and we go shoot a segment and, you know, at a rice farm in Louisiana or on the West Coast. And, and it's the two of us and we're doing the prep and doing the dishes. And it's uh, it's sort of fun. We're making it up as we go along. It's it's very creative. What uh, can I say? Sounds like it. And I don't think there's anything more, I don't even know if nerve wracking is the right phrase to use, but asking for money to oh, I support you. I have, a, I have a wonderful woman whose name I will never give anybody because everybody will want to pilfer her, who's a girlfriend. And what had happened was when Gourmet Magazine tanked in 2009, my husband says, you always know who your friends are because there's the ones that show up when bad things happen. Amen. Yes. Um, you know, it's good things are easy. Bad things are not easy. Mm-hmm. And so this one girlfriend reached out to me and said, I knew her because when I worked at uh, Good Morning America behind the scenes, she was a PR person and she would often pitch people. And so I, I've been knowing her throughout the ages. Anyway, she reached out and said, you know, how are you doing? Let's have lunch. So we had lunch. And at the very end of the lunch, and she was like, what are you going to do next? And I was like, I don't know. You know, I got to make money. Um, I mean, I was 
it's very sad gourmet shut down but i was more sad that i'd lost my regular income i'm sorry to be selfish i was sorry for the world that the magazine shut down so she said uh, she mentioned at the end of our lunch that she used to do fundraising for the jock and julia show you know that mm-hmm. uh, that one season they did together maybe it's more than one season oh, so jock good and julia. so much fun all i did was fight and disagree <laughs> so it was good. just wonderful but at any rate, she mentioned that she'd done that for them. And I was like, wow, would you want to do that for me? Now, that was in 2007. We have not had 10 consecutive years. Now, Gourmet shut down in 2009. Um, we started with Gourmet getting the funding. Mm-hmm. In 2009, I also did not have Gourmet to get the funding. So that's why she and I had lunch. At any rate, so she... Um, she started doing that for us and she works very, very, very hard and she's continued to be a good friend and she's extremely creative. So that's how we've managed to keep going. So we have 10 episodes um, and I have some new guests, which is really fun. Um, Eris, Eris Johnson, Chef Eris Johnson from New Orleans is making a jambalaya. Yes. Uh, which is, oh my God, Trish hands down the best I've ever had. I wrote that down um, because I want to ask you why later, but I, I wrote that um, down. Okay. All right. And then I have my friend, Grace Young, uh, who's a Chinese cookbook author and she shows how to make barbecue pork and then turn it into fried rice. And she's an amazing teacher. Um, I really appreciated an amazing teacher. And then we have um, snippets from other travels we've done uh to istanbul in the market to italy uh, making pasta in tuscany red wine pasta um ravioli um and um just you know all over the place so it's sort of international but it's uh, also weeknight meals and we do this thing called ask sarah where people real people we we reached out to people via facebook and instagram and said if you want to ask me a question, submit it, you know, and so I took the ones that I thought were the most interesting. So I addressed some of those. And it's wonderful. It's like when I first started on the Food Network um, the, in um, 1996, when I was just 12. And I did that show <laughs> Cooking Live. And I talked to people yeah. around the country. And I love talking to home cooks, because mm-hmm. they're passionate. And not only that, I realized as I talked to them, because I did that show for six years, I think it was, that home cooks are really very serious. And in some ways, every bit as as accomplished as chefs, because chefs make the same dish over and over and over again, get really good, but so do home cooks. And if if they're dedicated, um, we have a lot to learn from them, those serious home cooks. So anyway, I love the people I meet on Ask Sarah. They're also from around the country. That's so awesome. that's fun. Yeah. High five yeah. to all the home cooks out there because I agree. There's We're not getting paid for that, right? So we're showing up because we want to. We want to be in the kitchen. Yes. Yeah, it's passion. Pure passion. It's interesting when you said you asked your friend, hey, would you want to help me? I have found, you know, leaving the news business after... Uh, more than 19 years. I don't think I've Ooh, ever you started when you were 12. I did. Mm-hmm. I was, yeah. I had just turned 12. Uh, right. <laughs> um, I have found that I've never asked for help more in the last few months. Um, and it's something that it's, it's hard for me a little bit. I'm incredibly independent. I feel like I can do everything myself. Um, but in the last few months, I've really had to reach out to my friends who have uh, certain areas of strength that I don't, and I've had to ask for help. 
And I was telling my husband just the other day, it's amazing the amount of people who will come out and help you. Wow. Because they believe in you. Yes. Well, listen, we have to just pause for a second and shout you out because as you pointed out before we started recording this, you have no camera people, you have no assistance. There is nobody else there with you. You were doing this completely by yourself. Mm -hmm. So yay for you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. It's just me and the dogs today. Hubby's in the office. Oh, are they going to make a cameo appearance? They probably will. They may either bark or you may hear nails on the, the wood floor as they scoot by and find treats in the kitchen. This is my kitchen, by the way. Sarah Moulton kitchen. Kitchen nice. Sarah Moulton. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. I like it. Um, one thing that is missing uh, from our last interview, you said you have a plaque in your kitchen, kitchen that says, uh, never apologize, never explain. I'm totally going to copy you. I want one for my kitchen. I have to tell you, it's not a plaque. You want to know how big it is? It's a refrigerator magnet. P- perfect. It's big. Even better. My my niece, Katie Murphy, made it for me. And it's a quote from Julia Child, and it's got Julia in it. And it's already quite faded, but it's right there firmly. And I have to look at it, ooh, at least once a week when I start explaining uh, what I did wrong with dinner. Nobody wants to hear that. They, mm-hmm. they just want to believe it's your best, best yes. dinner. I, the only thing I have uh, right above my pantry, it's a quote from the movie Ratatouille, and it says, anyone can cook, but only the fearless can be great. And Chef Gusteau said that. Oh, well, there you go. It's good, right? Yeah, it is a leap of faith. It is somewhat. Yes. Yes. You need confidence. So with this 10th season, where, I mean, I've seen, I've seen parts of it, especially some of the behind the scenes. Where was this shot? Oh my God. It's shot. It's shot all over the place okay. because uh, one of our sponsors is a cruise line. So we travel. I can't mention who they are because everybody will pill for them, too, although you can <laughs> figure it out in 10 seconds. Uh, but a really wonderful uh, cruise line uh, that has serious cooking program mm. and serious food on board. At any rate, so with them, we got to, we've traveled. As a matter of fact, last year we were supposed to go to Alaska. So last season, if we'd had our season last year, mm-hmm. which would have been season 10 last year, uh, it would have been all about the Pacific Northwest and Alaska. But so we end up in all these wonderful places. Um, and then when we shoot here, um, I mean, in the United States, we do this fun thing, and I don't mind admitting that it's all a charade. We shoot at my producer partner's house, uh, Natalie Gustafson. She lives in uh, Riverside, Connecticut, which is near Greenwich, is you know along the coast. She has a big old yellow house, and we pretend it's my house because. And sometimes I even forget when we're shooting, and say things like, "Geez, I need to try this in my kitchen," or "Wouldn't this shelf look <laughs> nice in my kitchen?" Meanwhile, it's supposed to be my kitchen. But the idea being that I have a perfectly nice apartment here in New York City. Mm-hmm. With the husband, uh, it's a loft, it's high ceilings, used to be factory, very nice. But the kitchen essentially is in the middle of the living room, dining room, and it's like what we refer to as a railroad kitchen. Mm-hmm. There's no, There would be nowhere to shoot. So, And it's not very pretty. I mean, I love it, of course, sure. but my producer partner's house, there's... She has a nice garden, you know, we can go outside, we can sit outside, the light is wonderful. So that's where we shoot the rest of it. And it's good because it's only um, about an hour and a half from the city or, you know, depending on the traffic. That is perfect. Did you face any challenges uh, because you were shooting this essentially in the thick of a pandemic? Any challenges? Yeah. 
Oh, God. Well, first of all, we didn't do it uh, for that very reason. Mm -hmm. And then we only did it. We shot it in June of this year in about a week. Um, we always shoot it condensed uh, because we don't have the money to stretch it out. So we have to pack it in. Um, and one thing that was very sad is I had a wonderful guest. Um, at first, Natalie said, let's have no guests. And then I was like, I really love having guests, Trish, just like you like talking to other people about food. I learned so much from other people. So I said, I want to have a few guests. And she, Natalie backed off. And uh, we had this wonderful woman who's a, a vegan and um, she had been very overweight and then became a vegan and, and really got into it and lost a lot of weight and was all about wellness. And she, she I'd seen her do this um, video online and um, it was for uh, um, saltfish, uh, which is a Jamaican dish. And I was like, how the heck is she gonna do a vegan version of that? Well, who knew? Um, she made it with uh, hearts of palm. Hearts of palm, when you mm. shred them up and you add a lot of ingredients to them, end up with the texture like shredded fish. And then how did she get the fishy taste? I thought this was so cool. She added nori, ground up toasted nori. And that gave it a little bit of a ocean taste. And it was so good. And I wanted to have her on the show and we were all set. And then I, after the fact, not after the fact, but after she and I got all excited and I got the recipe and we were planning it, I said, by the way, have you been vaccinated? And she said, no. And so I said, oh, alas, we can't have you on the show mm -hmm. if you're not vaccinated. So uh, that was that was a setback. Um, but I still ended up having some wonderful guests and mm -hmm. move forward. I'll just have her on next year. If, you know, hopefully everything will be fine. Absolutely. So she can. Uh, yeah. Speaking of guests, though, uh, as you just mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, Eris Johnson, uh, and you guys made jambalaya. You said yeah. maybe the best you've ever had. Wow. Right. You know, it's funny. When I um, wrote my last cookbook, which was Home Cooking 101, How to Make Everything t Taste Better, I almost had as the subtitle Home Cooking 101, It's All in the Details. And I really think that in this case with Aris's jambalaya, which is not an original recipe, it's a classic. It's, it's just her family take, you know, her mom used to make it, now she's making it. And uh, it's just, it's how she did it, the steps, how she did it, when she added everything. And, and also supremely her spice mix, which she sells a line of spices, Aris the chef, spices so anybody can check her out online it's they're great it's a great spice mix and she was very liberal with it it's three tablespoons go into this dish for i think it's four to six people so that's mm -hmm. a lot of seasoning not salt salt goes in separately but she she built the dish in increments so you know first you saute one part and maybe you season it and then you add something else and then you season it and then you add the shrimp only for the last five minutes mm -hmm. so it doesn't get overcooked and she seasoned it at different parts. And um, I really think it was all in the details. She's a professional chef. She's worked, um, um, who's the, who's well, the, you know, uh, Gordon Ramsay and mm -hmm. survived. Um, she's worked with many other great chefs and uh, she's a serious chef, but she's also a great teacher. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. The, the one thing um, it's so, cause jambalaya is a dish that is built right? You build upon this dish, several different steps. Um, and you're a big rice fan. I know this about you. 
love love a good rice dish. That's the challenge I've always noticed with jambalaya is getting the rice cooked perfectly. Well, she she used what's referred to as par par boiled rice, which also has more nutrients in it. I asked her, I think the brand was Carolina Gold. Um, It's on the website, but I think that's the brand that she uses. And um, she's very familiar with it. And she always makes sure she uses the right the uh, evaporation, I mean, it's covered. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I find that people who are good with rice, and actually, as much as I do love it, I'm terrible with rice. I've had um, Chinese chefs or cookbook authors, Indian chefs or cookbook authors on my show. um, And, you know, rice people, people like um, heiress who come from New Orleans, where rice is huge, who are geniuses at it and they just know intuitively it's one of those things i always screw up but i think she's made it so many times she knows exactly what the ratio is and what it should look like um and i was impressed and you know it struck me back to what you said it's like layered and added in steps it Mm -hmm. sort of reminded me of paella Mm -hmm. and i'm sure originally the history of jambalaya was it was probably a poorer person's dish much like paella was Mm -hmm. that got fancier as time went on i mean jambalaya isn't really fancy uh, because they used what they had but again meat and fish combined it's um it's a it's a wonderful combination. It is magic. Uh, when you talk about cooking rice, I think about my grandma. Uh, I'm from South Carolina. That woman, oh. yes, she okay. could she could make a perfect pot of rice every single time. Yep, and I screw it up every time. I Same. often resort to just doing the pasta method where I put a big pot of salt and water, throw the rice, and let it boil away. You know my Asian friends are horrified. You know, they, they just are like, ah, um, Sarah, you've been a chef for how many years? Rice. Yeah. Yeah. You'd think I'd know. I'm just, you know, there's certain things there's always Mm -hmm. things that you're just not so good at. Yeah. And that's one of them. I don't know who I, where I got it from, but, um, I saw somewhere, uh, sauteing the rice before you add the water, kind of like, um, a risotto style, but now I do that with every every single time I make rice. I saute it in like oil. Nice, nice. Get a little bit of a nutty flavor oh, going man. on. Or like pilaf, you know, mm-hmm. when my mom used to make pilaf. Mm-hmm. You know, can I ask you a question? Please. What have you been cooking since you left TV land? So um, funny you should ask. I was actually going to talk to you about a story regarding salmon. But I've been cooking. Um, sometimes I'll cook and I'll put it up on my Instagram page just for fun following you on Instagram yep you've been busy thank you Sarah Moulton but um I'm cooking uh lots of different things one thing I made just a few weeks ago that um excuse me a couple of friends have actually brought it to my attention I just seared some salmon and popped it in the oven for a couple of minutes and then sauteed spinach with garlic that was it that was dinner um, that's how I love to cook. It's an A plus on the health meter there. Thank you. But anyway, keep going. Thank you. Yes. Um, but that's how I like to cook. Olive oil, salt, pepper, maybe garlic, lemon, crushed red pepper, just very few ingredients. But a few of my friends reached out and said they tried my method of cooking salmon, which isn't my method. It's just a method that I've learned from somewhere else. And they said it was a game changer. They said they oh. usually marinate it for, you know, hours and then grill it and but this this way really brought out the flavor of the salmon someone else said they had been overcooking it 
all these years and that when she tasted it, she nearly cried. I almost, I was like, are you kidding me? This is amazing. That feels so good. And I actually wrote that down because I know that's a big thing for you, being that teacher at heart. When someone says, Sarah, I tried your, you know, fill in the blank. You've changed my life when it comes to making salmon. I mean, what, what a compliment. Yeah, it is very exciting. It's, uh, it's like falling in love again. Um, you know, you've shared something that you enjoyed doing and then somebody else did it and was successful and it's just, it's a high. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I have a friend who is a chef in New York City. One of her recipes was recently featured in Food and Wine. I haven't reached out to her just yet, but what an amazing accomplishment. And I'm sure, you know, for you, you've been doing this for so long. Was there ever a point when you were just starting to get into you know, being that, being the chef, being on Food Network and like people really want to know, I want, I want that recipe. Give me that recipe. It feels good. It does. It really does. No, absolutely. I, I would say it didn't really happen until I was on the Food Network because mm-hmm. I mean, that's early days of the internet. And, you know, so who knew who I was? I, there was no social media. There was barely email. So they'd have to see you on TV and then that would make them, you know, a lot of times people just because you're on TV thinks, think that it must be good or you must be good or you must be a nice person or whatever, you know, people get into celebrities, but they did start asking about the food. And uh, that is when they started getting excited about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, I've interviewed a few chefs and you guys all say the same thing that um, when you hear from fans, especially when they come up to you and they hug you and they say, thank you, you've gotten me in the kitchen. And it was a huge fear of mine. And now I don't have that fear anymore. (sighs) Amazing. There's nothing better. There's really nothing better. I mean, you know, it's funny because sometimes I, you know, I live in New York City. I'll see somebody that I have admiration for, meaning a celebrity, and I'll want to rush up to them and tell them so. And because I don't mind, I mean, they're usually much bigger celebrity than I ever was, but um, because I don't mind people rushing up to me and telling me nice things. I think, well, geez, sure, I can do that. I can go up to that person. It's not always true. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for me, the kind of people who do rush up to me say what you just said, which is, oh, I love your recipe for blip, or you got me cooking, or you got me less scared or something Mm -hmm. to that effect. And there's just nothing better. There isn't. Yeah. Over the years, it's funny because, you know, being on local TV news, I've heard so many wonderful things from viewers. Um, and then I've heard those, you're, you're much better looking in person. I'm like, oh. oh my God. You know, I really, really hate the personal and we do it, um, even myself included, more to women than to men. Oh gosh. Like when people meet you, oh yeah, you're so much skinnier than I thought, not skinnier, but thinner, you know, you mm-hmm. you look so much younger and <laughs> what gives them, I mean, really what gives them the right, you know? You know, I've thought about this and I honestly, a lot of people are like that. They're like, how dare them say that? But I also think that, especially over the last 19 years, they've, and for you, we're allowing you in our living room. When I see you on TV and I keep it there on you, I'm choosing you in that instance. And so I feel like people maybe think that they know us on a level where us, I'm not putting myself in your category, but I think they, over the years, they got to know me because I would share personal stories in the newscast. And so they knew my dog's name was Samson and they knew my husband's name was Chuck. And so they felt that that personal connection 
And then I just think some people don't have a filter, period. Yeah, I think you're you're right. Um, but it's, it is funny what they feel like they can say. Yeah. yeah. Yes, you're much you're much uh, thinner in person. It's that must be true. The camera adds this many pounds, and I'm like, whoa, 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 relax. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Speaking is that, of, is that a compliment? Is that not a compliment? I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you. I think. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, speaking of your show, though, you know, you've kind of talked about it a little bit. What goes into prepping for a show like Sarah's Weeknight Meals? Do you, I guess, how much research goes into what you want to show? cooking wise? Well, we're lucky in that when, when I say we, it's me and my partners. Mm -hmm. We're very much partners, me and Natalie. Uh, We're lucky in that I've written four cookbooks. And then also for six years, I forget it all stopped in 2018. I did a column for the Associated Press, which was a new recipe, supposedly a new recipe every week which was sheer hell, frankly. Um, And towards the end, I also had to do the photography. So we had a lot of recipes to mine. And I've always focused on, except for my first cookbook, which is more just a biography of all my favorite recipes. I've always focused on weeknight meals. So since the show is called Weeknight Meals, we had a lot to work with. So Natalie comes up with themes and she's very good at it. And she's good at writing. And she's good at also, as I mentioned, sometimes we repurpose old material with new material, although never more than once. Nothing will ever re-air more than uh, once after the first time it's aired. Um, So she'll put together a grid with topics. And she knows the kind of stuff I like. You know, I always like something that's vegetarian. We find that Five Ingredients is a very, very popular show. soup for supper we've done breakfast for dinner so she'll but but then she mixes it up and sometimes it becomes more international so we'll take an ingredient like a pig um or pork you know and and take it to three different versions of you know different nationalities um so we put together a whole grid and then we have to natalie that's what a producer does figures out how much time we have how much each segment will take and then we go from there and then whatever the little gaps are for the ask sarah's and that's the hardest i'm sure you know this it's much harder to do something short than it is to do something long so if i have to answer a question for example i did how to poach eggs is one of the ask sarah's with a a wonderful woman um who raises well, doesn't well does raise chickens, but what she does is they sell chicken coops and chicks to people to set up their own chicken coops mm-hmm. in their neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And so, honestly, she's obviously she's all into eggs, but she said she loves to have people over for brunch, but it's hard getting all those eggs poached, getting them poached perfectly, and you know, serving brunch. Yeah. So we went through that whole thing, and the thing that was ultimately the most important is the thing that didn't fit in the end, which was so sad to me. So I have to make up the difference on the website, which is you can poach eggs ahead of time and park them in the fridge for even two days and then reheat them. And somehow, you know, that got, Mm -hmm. that just didn't fit into the short period of time. So that's frustrating. Um, But at any rate, that's how we do it. And I, I really, I couldn't do it without Natalie. If I was the one who was doing all of the planning, so, for example, somebody I've worked with a fair amount going way back is Ming Tsai. And um, he's a lot of fun. He's got the energy of a five-year-old. I mean, he's <laughs> exhausting. 
Um, and I, when I had him on my show, it was like five or six years ago. And actually we're doing one of the reruns of his recipe for cassoulet using duck, which isn't really a weeknight meal. But it, anyway, it's occasionally we break out from the weeknight thing. He came in, he arrived. Uh, I think he drove there by himself from Boston or he took the train. He arrives and the minute he arrives, boom, we start going. He's styling the food. He's telling camera guys what angle. He's announcing what the ingredients are. He's jousting with me. I mean, I have to be on my toes because uh, the guy is always like pushing. I mean, I love him, but it's it's like, oh my God. And then he leaves and I really need a nap. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that for his show, I mean, he has a whole team of people because I've been on his show a few times. Um, but that he really drives it. So all the things that I just said that Natalie really does, you know, coming up with themes and descriptions and the grid is something that Ming does himself. Mm -hmm. He's he's like, he does every, he's the director, the producer, the stylist, the author of the recipe. Um, he's, he's amazing. Also known as maybe control freak. <laughs> Well, that is true too. That is true too. Yeah, that's yes. That's me. And that was me in my former job. I was like I just sometimes I had to remind myself sit back, let someone else do it. You don't have to be the boss of everything. But I think it's hard when you have when you're passionate and you have a vision. Um and so I'm sure for him he probably is like this is how I've been thinking about this the whole way here. This is how it should go. I got it. Yep. Yep. No, but he was he was great. I mean, even though it was exhausting for me, it was, I think it was good TV. I mean, we had, we had a lot of fun and I've had a lot of fun when I've been on his, but you know, uh, that, that is his ball game anyway. Yeah. yeah. He is a blast. Yeah. He has so much energy, but you can see that you can see that on camera, but you can also just speaking of you on camera, you can see, and I think this is why people love you so much. Um, we talked about it in the last interview, uh, after nine 11, and the Food Network decided to come back on TV, It that was what people needed in the country. They needed some comfort. They needed a warm, smiling face, um, this soothing voice, and someone in the kitchen just cooking for them. And so I think that's why I believe people love you so much because you're just, you're not, you're not intimidating whatsoever. It's just like watching a friend cook dinner for you. Well, I have to say I go out of my way to be uh, not threatening because I did have professional training. I did work in restaurants mm -hmm. uh, for seven years. And when I started on the Food Network in 96, I was firmly planted uh, in the idea that I'm not going to show off. I'm not going to show my chef's side. I'm going to show my home, helping the home cook's side. Mm -hmm. And I had some... I had many guests and I had many professional chefs and they would do all of that stuff. You know, the thing where you saute and you pull the pan back and all the stuff goes up in the air and they chop, you know, really, 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 really fast. And I thought if I want to get people cooking, I'm not to say that that doesn't work in some cases. So for example, Jacques Pepin does what he does the way he's always done it. Mm -hmm. And he is, the ultimate technician. There's nobody like him. Um, and I don't think people find that him intimidating at all. I think they just love him. But um, for me, that was just, I wasn't going to do that. Um, and it was funny. One time I had this, I had many chefs on, male chefs. And again, we're talking about years ago on my show. 
And so they were even more sort of chauvinistic than yes. they are now. Now at least they pretend that they're not, you know, demeaning of women. Uh, but back then they didn't even try to pretend. And I remember one show um, I had on some guy who was so competitive that he actually got me doing the saute thing. He didn't tell me to, but I was like, oh God, I'm just tired of his put downs. And then he looked at me and he said, oh, you do that so well. I just wanted to kill him, yeah. but it was live TV, so it wasn't exactly what I could. Um, but well, yeah, no, no, I really, I try to make it seem uh, very accessible and very easy to do. Well, I love that you have that intent and that it's something that you have thought about because I think it shows, absolutely. And again, I think that's why people uh, do love you so much. Um, I recently interviewed Todd Shulkin, Executive Director of the Julia Child Foundation. Yes. Wonderful foundation. Wonderful foundation. The work that they do, I just love it. And you just know that um, Julia Child, obviously, because this was really her idea, but that she's just watching all of this good work and just beaming, I'm sure. But you know, they do uh, for the podcast that they do with the foundation. Todd asks everybody about their Julia moment. And so it made me think of you because I know you have lots of Julia moments, but, and this is for people who maybe have n- never met Julia Child. They just have kind of something that, you know, th- a moment with this, their hero maybe. So I wanted to ask you, do you have a Julia Child moment, something that really sticks out to you? Well, there are, as you said, mm-hmm. many, many. And mm-hmm. I think most people who did know Julia personally, there are many, many, and most of them are pretty hysterical. She was one of the funniest people I ever met. But one that really does stick with me um, is we would do, and it happened more than once, actually. It wasn't one moment. It was many moments, but it was a repeated thing that she would say is when I worked with her, which was uh, first, because I ended up continuing to work with her at Good Morning America and the subsequent years. But in 1979, when I was working on her public television show called Julia Child and More Company, Um, there was many volunteers. I was actually paid, which was crazy. Uh, I was her food, one of her food stylists, even though I had no idea how to food style. But we also developed the recipes as we went along. And one of the things that would happen is we all became friends. It was mostly, it was almost all women, um, you know, except for some of the camera guys and the director. And after hours, she would, we would have dinner parties, not all of us, not, not all the volunteers, but some of the people who worked on the show at her, at her kitchen in Cambridge. And um, it was a funny kitchen for me because she was six, three, actually people say six, two, she was six, three. I got corrected uh, by her niece um, when I said at a Julia Child event uh, with Todd, um, I said she was six two, and, and she corrected me. She said no, she was six three. But anyway, so her kitchen, the counters came up to here, and you know the knives were all the way up on the you know up there, and it was a little bit challenging. But you know we all managed. But inevitably, what we would do, there'd be two or three of us cooking with her, and we'd be having other interesting people over for dinner. And sometimes there'd be courses. Sometimes there weren't that many courses, you know, but we'd be in the middle of it and we'd all be doing it together. And it was basically whatever menu she planned. And, but we were all having fun. I mean, it was just friends. This yeah. was not work. This was friends. And she turned to all of us and she'd say in the middle of everything, aren't we having so much fun? And it was so contagious. Uh, you could just, this was it, you know, this was, this was it. 
And so that is what I remember. And she kept that enthusiasm, I think, to the end of her life. Um, you know, um, her assistant, Stephanie Hirsch, who was her assistant for the last 15 years of Julia's life, uh, and Stephanie even moved to, you know, out to the West Coast mm -hmm. to be with Julia at her near her um you know, assisted living home. And they set up her assisted living home, her apartment, Julia's apartment just was like a mini version of her house in Cambridge, complete with the cork board with all the pots and pans and the outlines on the wall. And um, even there, Julia was still so into cooking and having a wonderful time. But I remember somewhere in the, it wasn't towards the end end of Julia's life, but let's say it was the late 80s, early 90s, I was doing maybe, maybe 93 or something, I was doing prep, uh, still at Good Morning America for all the chefs who came on. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had on Barbara Kafka, who had a book called High Heat Roasting. And it was Thanksgiving, I always worked on Thanksgiving. Um, and we were doing a turkey it was like a I forget how large a turkey it was, but it was one of these extraordinary things where it was going to be cooked in two and a half hours. I mean, it was just unheard of because it was high heat. It was 500 degrees. Right. And we did it. And on the show, during the show, within the, you know, I guess we must have put it on before the show started because it was a lot less time than normal. You would cook it. But at any rate, the hosts ate it at the end of the show and they declared it delicious. Of course. And I got home. And the phone rang. And I, so I did all the prep and the food styling and helped Barbara behind the scenes. I was not on camera. I wasn't on camera till 96 with the Food Network. But anyway, I got home. The phone rang. It's Julia. She's like, oh, dearie, I just saw Good Morning America. I'm intrigued. Was that turkey any good? And uh, yeah, so she was just fascinated and uh, fascinated by the whole thing. And yeah. then, of course, she tried. But the problem is that you had to start with a clean oven. Otherwise, you set off the fire alarm. And she did not start with a clean oven. I mean, when you set your oven to 500 degrees and then you cook a turkey in there, it yeah. better be spanking clean before you start. Otherwise, yeah. There's no kidding. No kidding. So she decided she'd never do that again um, based on that one experience. But she was fascinated. She kept learning. Yeah. And that's one of the things she said is you never stop learning. Exactly. Here's Samson. Oh, here we go. Oh, what a cutie. Samson says hi. Oh, my he, God. He's the Italian Mastiff. He, you're being a very good boy today. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's a sweetheart. What's his name again? Samson. Samson Bear. Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah. you know, during this last very difficult year or year and a half we all had, one of my great joys was walking around New York City. I, I walk a lot. Um, and then my daughter joined us when she had to move back home because she, whatever, she, for various mm -hmm. reasons, she and I would, um, we noticed there were so many more dogs than there had been. Yeah. Rescue dogs. Yeah. I mean, ones that had been rescued, but also puppies. Uh, and so we'd go around. I, I've never asked so many people if I can bat their dog as I have in the last year <laughs> and a half. And I'm, I really, I'm, I'm so jealous of anybody who has a dog. I'm not quite ready to do it myself, mm -hmm. but I love those guys. They're just something else. They just bring joy. But they really, really do. And I will say, uh, Samson is not a rescue. He is a purebred. But we have a rescue, a shelter dog. And when people say, shelter dog, the best dog I've ever had, that is true. He is the best dog we have ever owned. Just a sweetheart. So doggies are amazing. They do bring so much they joy. Are. 
so much joy. I do. Um, one thing I did ask Todd, I want to ask you, and then we can start wrapping up a little bit. Um, it seems like Julia Child is a little bit more out there in mainstream media right now. And he said, that's good. That means we're doing our job. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like she, I just feel like I see her and her legacy more, especially in social media right now. Well, Cherry Bomb did a huge tribute mm-hmm. to her, uh, Cherry Bomb being the magazine sort of empire yes. uh, that celebrates women in the industry. And they did a terrific job mm-hmm. celebrating her. I think what really happened started in 2009, um, which was Julie and Julia, based on uh, the blog that turned into the book that yeah. turned into the movie. Um, and as much as... Julia Child didn't want to endorse Julie Powell's blog that turned into a book that turned into a movie. I think it really relaunched Julia Child and um, has kept, you know, the moment the momentum has kept going probably because of the Julia Child Foundation also. Mm-hmm. But as we get older, as the whole population gets older, I think we really appreciate people like Jacques Pepin, Julia Child who at a time when Americans were really not eating very well, you know, we celebrated TV dinners and frozen food. Hey, there's nothing wrong with frozen food. There's Mm -hmm. good frozen food, but Mm -hmm. um, they changed, they, they changed everything. Um, Why it continues, she continues to resonate. I can only say it's because she is such a character. Mm -hmm. Um, She's just the gift that keeps on giving. You just can't imagine that anybody could have that much personality and and um, be so delightful and yet and make such complicated dishes and pretend that they're simple. They weren't remotely simple. No, uh, but also uh, inspire people to cook. I mean, one of the things I think was so great about her is she had no problem making mistakes. And um, as a matter of fact, went out of her way to make mistakes after a while and then correct them or tell you what you could do. Um, and I think that if she was willing to make a fool out of herself on national TV, you know, it gave you the courage to mm-hmm. why should you worry about what you do in the privacy of your own kitchen? Um, but, you know, it's funny because these days the Food Network, let's say the Food Network was starting all over again in this era right now. Right. Where it's more about a lot of times how you look, not what you know how to do. True. I don't think they will ever in a million years, you know, uh, put Julia on TV. Uh, yet, if they had or if they did or if we reimagined it right now, I think she would be big just like she would blow up just like she did the first time. I do, too. Yeah. And I think, yeah. it, you know, and it's kind of I feel like that's very similar with you. What you were saying, you know, you you have so there's so much intent that goes behind how you cook on TV. And it sounds like she did the same purposely you well, know, learned, messing up. I, I learned a lot from her. I mean, really, I'm absolutely her child. I mean, she has a lot of children, yeah. although she had real children, but um, she adopted a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And I'm, yeah, I'm definitely my whole focus is comes from her. Yeah. It's so special that you had those moments with her. So special. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. So, um, I don't want to stress you out, but I do want to hear your thoughts no, I, on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I want to ask you one more question. Tell, tell me, you may have already done this separately um, to all your fans, but what are your plans with this new podcast? What are you hoping to do? Well, Sarah Moulton, um, really, I want to reach out to uh, people in the culinary world who maybe 
my listeners have heard of before, know well, follow them on social media, or maybe they've never heard of before. And really, while I do love to cook, what I love even more is talking to people. And I call myself an you know obnoxiously curious journalist slash foodie that really I, I love I love the stories. I love hearing about, you know, how you got to Good Morning America and how you were in Julia Child's kitchen. I love those stories. And I think people who maybe don't know you, now I'm connecting that story to those people. And so I think it comes from um, obviously being in the news industry for such a long time, storytelling and connecting stories to people who may not have had, who don't have the opportunity to hear those stories. And so I think um, the podcast is very selfish. I love talking to people and I love interviewing interesting people who've had an interesting life. And I want to hear the success that they've had. I want to hear the challenges, the journey, the aha moment, the, you know, I left my job, successful job after 20 years when the magazine, uh, you know, went under whatever and, and you were like, what do I do now? I love hearing that because there's so many people out there who may be going through the same thing. And they need to hear that in this moment. I love that. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it's really, it's really selfish. I really do just, I'm reaching out to people that I find interesting. I want to hear their story and I'm bringing it to those who want to hear it. So. Well, I I think that's admirable. Well, thank you. I know it's scary though, right? After 19 years and a steady paycheck and there were many nights at two o'clock in the morning or many mornings, I should say, where I woke up and I said, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this is smart. But at the end of the day, I think you know this too. You have to follow your heart and you have to listen to your gut. And and here I am. So in my kitchen talking to you. <laughs> uh, I love it. But no, thank you for asking that because it's, um, yeah, it's it's one of those where it was a, do I do this? Can I do this? How do I do this? And then I think you just, you just do it. You, if you want to do it, you just do it. You just go for it. Also, it sounds like you must have a very supportive husband. Very, very supportive. He was setting up the ring light and the laptop this morning for me, pouring my coffee. Yes, incredibly supportive. So I have a very, an amazing support system. So that are saying, yes, you can do this. Reach out, ask, ask the, ask the ask, right? Ask all the people that you want to have on your podcast. And if they say no, ask somebody else. So. Well, very good. Um, okay. I wrote this down. I don't want to stress you out, but I do want to hear your thoughts on Thanksgiving. Are you cooking this year? Are you going somewhere? Do you have plans? Well, you're going to laugh. I'm going to do the same thing I've done every year for the last 20 years. Okay. We go nowhere because mm-hmm. we discovered when the kids were little that everybody goes somewhere on Thanksgiving and it's stressful. Uh, it's just why travel when everybody else is. Agreed. So A, we go nowhere and B, ready? We do not eat turkey. For years, I uh, was an expert on Thanksgiving a day on Good Morning America about how to cook your turkey. And I would go and in preparation, I would go and practice the latest new way to cook turkey, whether you wet brined it, dry brined it, spatchcocked it, you know, braised it, cut it up, whatever. And then I do that on good when I was on air on Good Morning America. And then I would go home and do as I'm going to do this year, as I always do. I make well, I would have already made braised short ribs of beef in red wine sauce. Mm -hmm. And that is my family's hands down favorite recipe. And then the rest of it, 
no pun intended, is gravy, meaning whatever the side dishes are. Usually in recent years, it's been spetzel, which is German pasta. Mm. Um, but you can also make ahead of time. It's so easy to make. It, it takes as long as it takes as long to make the dough as it does for the water to come to a boil. And then you just put the it's like a very thick pancake batter through these this sieve mm -hmm. machine that looks like a washboard. You've made it, I, I assume. I've eaten it. And, it's wonderful. It's and delicious. then you can make it ahead and you do what you're not supposed to do with regular pasta. You rinse it mm -hmm. so that it doesn't all become one because then we saute it and it gets like crispy and brown. And that is the base. And then generally we have broccoli, Rob. And then I might make a dessert, um, maybe a French apple tart, but we don't do anything traditional. Um, so it's, uh, it's sort of shocking. I have a whole chapter in my my most recent cookbook, the one uh, that came out in 2016, Home Cooking 101 on, on Thanksgiving, you know, and including how to make mashed potatoes ahead of time, how to make a make-ahead gravy that you finish off, you know, by glazing the pan, how, you know, I, at that point I was like dry brine the turkey. I think brining the turkey is an important thing to do. Um, but even so, we eat braised short ribs of beef. How about you? I love it. So um, we used to, for a few years, we actually roasted chickens because my stepkid didn't like turkey so but he loved chicken so we roasted chickens and that was shocking to many my mom from south carolina is flying out my mom and my stepdad so we're having thanksgiving here at my house but i love i love to cook a traditional thanksgiving meal and i have my things that i cook every single year um my grandma's cornbread dressing that is easily one of my favorite things um on the planet, um, but it's her recipe and I cook it. And especially now that she's passed, it's incredibly important for me to make it every single year. And I think of her, but Thanksgiving was big in grandma's house. And so I think a little bit, I, I carry that on. In fact, I have her, her China she gave to me, it was a 20, I think 25 wedding anniversary China that my papa gave to my grandma and I have it. So when we make Thanksgiving, we eat off those plates. So that's that's very special. I'm Good for you. I'm very uh, what's the word? I'm very uh, sentimental <laughs> about that stuff. Uh, it means oh, me too. It, it means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, my mom is coming out and we're going to cook Thanksgiving together, which is super fun for us. She's not a huge turkey fan either, but I love the challenge of cooking the turkey. I think that's what I love. It is a challenge, and that's why I, I sort of worry for everybody at Thanksgiving. I think it's the most stressful cooking day of the year. Yeah. Because you could have a turkey that weighs 16 pounds, and one year it will take three and a half hours, and the next year it will take four and a half. Tell me about or it. Or three. There's just no, you know, mm. you, you really, everybody must have a meat thermometer. And one thing, having just said that, because I just made it sound so horrible, <laughs> is everybody should keep in mind, you shouldn't time the turkey to be ready at the moment that you want to dine no you you time the turkey to be done within an hour of when you want people to sit down because the turkey stays rip roaring hot for a whole hour and uh it needs to rest for at least 20 minutes mm -hmm. so um i i just had to say that because i made it sound like it was really scary but it is a challenge. So I, I applaud you. Go, you well, go. Thank, it's, it's fun for me. And I've also realized I've taken the stress out of it a little bit because it just doesn't matter at the end of the day. It really doesn't matter. And you're right. My, my philosophy is if the gravy's hot, you're fine. Everything, it's fine. It's going to be yes. fine. 
And the gravy, it's, it's from my husband's point of view that he misses the turkey only because he misses the gravy, mm -hmm. but he gets the red wine gravy with the braised short ribs. You know, it's all about the stuffing and the gravy and the side dishes. Mm -hmm. um, it's really not about the turkey. I will say this. I, one of the main reasons I do all the things for Thanksgiving, the Brussels sprouts with bacon and the stuffing and the mashed potatoes, because I like to take all of that stuff and do turkey shepherd's pies the next day. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So shredded nice. turkey, the Brussels sprouts, the gravy, uh, you add mushrooms to it, and then you put them in little individual dishes, leftover mashed potatoes mm. on top, cheddar cheese on top of that. They are to die Ooh. for. Ooh. That's Ooh, why have I you make... ever written that up? No, maybe I you will this year. Up. I do it every do single that. year. Every single and year. post it. That's a recipe people want. I myself it. included. Okay. Yeah. I will. It's, it is the, it's really one of the top five reasons that I do the whole Thanksgiving dinner is so I can have the turkey shepherd's pie two days later. Yeah. Makes sense. And Makes you can sense. freeze them individual. You can freeze them. And so have them in July. It's amazing. It's amazing. I know. Game changer. Brilliant. Um, okay. Brilliant. I'm going to wrap up really quickly. I do want to tell you, um, I'm going chanterelle mushroom hunting today. Woo, you go. That's, That's why fantastic. I want you, to, I definitely, if, if you can make the Pacific Northwest tour thing happen, you got to do it and you need to come to Southern Oregon, go wine tasting and then go mushroom hunting. <laughs> okay. I, I like that. I like that assignment. Sounds just fine to me. Put me in touch with your producer. We'll make some things happen. Um, okay. One thing I want to know about your pantry if there's a mm -hmm. staple in your pantry, if there's like maybe one or two things that you always, always, always either have on hand or have to have on hand. Well, I'd say hot pepper flakes. Uh, you know, as I get older, I like more and more heat in my dishes in the same category, hot smoked paprika. I love that smokiness. Mm. Um, other than that, you know, uh, I must always have garlic. I consider that part of the pantry. Yeah. Um, and olive oil. Um, and oh, lemon, citrus. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm now I'm expanding the pantry to mean also, you know, things you always have. No, I hand. agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but hot pepper flakes would really be at the top of the list. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's a good call. How about and you? I would have to say uh, vinegars. Ah, like, uh, oh, sherry vinegar. I love mm -hmm. anyway. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, champagne, champagne vinegar. I find I use that in, if I'm making aioli or if I'm making like a remoulade or any a salad dressing or anything like that. I love having, I always have to make sure I have vinegars on hand all like in all kinds of vinegars. Oh, nice. Yes. And not to mention they're good for you. Apparently vinegar is very right. trendy right now. Um, I right. stole way too much of your time. So I'm going to wrap up with this last question. You probably hate this question. What's for dinner tonight? Oh, okay. Uh, interesting. You should ask. Um, uh, I think I have some wild rice mix left over, um, not cooked, uncooked. Uh, and wild, wild rice is a whole different thing you cook. Um, but I'm going to do duck breast. We eat duck breasts once a week. I absolutely love them. We get them from, through this grocery that we do online. Um, and it's from Long Island. Um, and it's just the breasts and I cook them medium rare and I got in some, a package of wild mushrooms. Mm. And so I'm going to make a wild mushroom sauce for the duck, but the duck will be medium rare and crispy. And then, um, oh God, probably some broccoli, Rob. 
and probably a salad, an arugula salad. Yum. But um, yeah, but duck duck is really good, and people don't realize that it is uh, without the skin. Although, why wouldn't you eat the skin? I mean, God, how silly is so that? But, but without the skin, it's as lean as turkey, white meat turkey. So, and it's um, it's just very good for you. Um, mm-hmm. So we eat it all the time, and it, you know, if you get you know, I'm sort of having turkey light, what I'm, I'm not turkey duck light. I mean, the Long Island duck, which is also known as Pekin duck, mm-hmm. uh, which is not the dish Peking duck. It's, it's just a brand of duck, uh, is not that, is not gamey. Um, you know, and I'm not saying other duck is gamey, but um, some people find it gamey, but this is, it's just yummy. And any sauce you put on steak, or a pork chop, you can put on a duck breast, and it's so good. Do you, um, so anyway, that's what I mean. Do you score the well, Do you score the skin? Yes. So what I do is I take the skin and I cross hatch it pretty close, like quarter inch. You know, not going to to the meat, just mm-hmm. through the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I pat it dry if I have time. I let it air dry a little bit, um, and then season the skin side salt and pepper put it skin side down in a medium low pan i mean you can do it at a higher temperature but if you want to save the duck fat and not over brown it it's better to do it at a lower temperature and then i cook it mostly on the skin side until i can start to see the meat getting cooked you can see so it's sort of Mm -hmm. pink but then you can see that it starts to get cooked uh and then i take out the duck i dump off the fat but save it for future reference put back in a tablespoon or two season now the meat side put it back in for a couple more minutes and then take it out and let it rest for 10 minutes before i slice it Yum. and then so, you know, and then meanwhile make a sauce uh, maybe in some more duck fat okay um, so you've just yeah. inspired me to make duck no oh, well good good I- hopefully you have a good source it's not easy to find it in the supermarket right um I wish more people ate duck. It's, it is also, as I said, a, a healthy choice. Okay. Well, yeah. um, that's the plan. I've never, I've never actually made duck, so I'm going to do it. You've inspired me. Oh, it, oh, it's so good. Oh, okay. do it. Yes. Done. Okay. Um, can I thank you once again so much for taking the time and chatting with me and helping me launch this podcast? It means a lot. Oh, Trish, my pleasure. Absolutely. And uh, I know you're going to have a great long career doing this. I hope so. And I'm going to take you up on if I'm ever in New York City and we're not in a pandemic, we're going to lunch. Oh, I do it now. There's plenty of places to eat out. Okay. I'm going to take you up on that. Okay. Thank you, Sarah Moulton. Thank you, Trish. You've been listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma with me, Trish Gloss. You can watch this episode and subscribe on my YouTube channel. Just search for Hungry for More. You can also listen and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts.